You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Numbers chapter 1. Verses 1 through 3, Census Ordered. The Israelites are now 14 months out of Egypt. It has taken that long to learn how to learn to live with and serve a holy God. They have camped in the wilderness of Sinai for 11 months while God gave them the law and instructions for the tabernacle and priesthood and offerings and festivals. The tabernacle is completed and the priesthood is now serving. Now they need to prepare for the conquest of the promised land. There is a great sense of expectancy. So the Lord spoke to Moses in the tabernacle of meeting, where his presence had resided in the cloud. He says, Take a census of the whole Israelite community by their clans and families, listing every man by name, one by one. You and Aaron are to count, according to their divisions, all the men in Israel who are twenty years old and more, and able to serve in the army. The main project managers of this task are Moses and Aaron, but there will be twelve helpers, since the task is great. The census is only of males, since only men served in the army, and they were over twenty years old. And this was to establish the roster of fighting men. Another reason would relate to the division of the land. The Book of Numbers will include two main censuses. This first one is the Exodus generation and is a memorial to them. The final one is almost 38 years later of the Conquest generation and offers hope to the children of the Exodus. Verses 4 through 16, Leaders Appointed. God appoints one man from each of the twelve tribes to help them. These men are the heads of their families and represent their whole tribe well. They are described as leaders of their ancestral tribes and heads of the clans of Israel. He appoints them by name. These same men will be mentioned in relation to the gifts they bring to the tabernacle in Numbers 7, even though the events of chapters 7 to 10 occurred earlier than this census. Verses 17 to 43, the census. The numbers are reported in the standard order of the twelve tribes, with Jacob's wives first before the sons of the concubines. The exception is that since the Levites are exempted from fighting because of their work with the tabernacle, Gad, who was born from Leah's maid Zilpah, replaces Levi in the third-born position. Moses and Aaron take these men who had been named, and although we can skip over it, we see the obedience of the leaders in undertaking this task. This begins on the very day it was ordered. The people came to their leaders to register their ancestry by their clans and families, one by one, males 20 years or older. I won't list the number of each tribe except to note that Judah is now the largest tribe with 74,600 and Manasseh is the smallest with 32,200. This is noteworthy because in spite of being the smallest, Manasseh ends up with quite a lot of land on both sides of the Jordan. Verses 44 to 46, total. We don't know how many days it took to count everyone, but this is the summary. These were the men counted by Moses and Aaron and the twelve leaders of Israel, each one representing his family. All the Israelites, twenty years old or more, who were able to serve in Israel's army were counted according to their families. The total number was 603,500.
550. Moses mentions this number back to God in Numbers 11:21 when he complains that they are too much for him to care for, forgetting that it's not his problem. This is the same number as was counted in Exodus 38:26 in relation to the offering for the tabernacle and the estimated number who left Egypt recorded in Exodus 12:37 was about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. So this was an estimate because they hadn't been counted yet. Later, the Levites who will also be counted, but for a different purpose. That number of 22,000, which we'll see in Leviticus 3.39, and their families gives an estimated population of over 2 million Israelites. Imagine such a company traveling through the wilderness. No wonder the nations through whom they passed were wary of them. And God was well able to take care of them for 40 years. But recall that other than the skirmish and defeat of the Amalekites led by Joshua in Exodus 17, these are former slaves, not trained soldiers. But God was transforming them from disorderly rebels into obedient servants and soldiers, so that he refers to them as my armies, or my divisions, which are military designations. God didn't order the census of the Israelites because he didn't know how many there were, but to encourage them so they'd see the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, his power in bringing them out of Egypt, and his ability to care for such a great company in the wilderness. Verses 47 to 53, Levites not counted for the army. So the tribe of Levi, as well as Moses and Aaron, were not included with the others in the census because they were exempt from military service. Instead, they were appointed to be in charge of the tabernacle, its furnishings and everything belonging to its care. During this time of transition, they were to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They were to take care of it and encamp directly around it. Whenever the tabernacle was instructed to move by the pillar of fire and cloud, the Levites were to take it down. And whenever the tabernacle was to be set up, the Levites were to do it. Anyone else, a non-Levite, who approached it was to be put to death. So this began in Exodus 32, when the zeal of the Levites for the glory of God was evident, and they sided with Moses after the golden calf incident and they were rewarded for it with the care of the tabernacle. All the Israelites were to set up their tents by divisions, each of them in their own camp under their standard. This would be some kind of banner with a symbol representing their tribe, for example, a lion for the tribe of Judah. The Levites, however, were to set up their tents around the tabernacle of the covenant law so that God's wrath would not fall on the Israelite community. Verse 54, Summary Then a record of their obedience. The Israelites did all this just as the Lord commanded Moses. And although it doesn't mention it here, we can be sure they did it as they had earlier been commanded in Exodus 30, that each person counted was to give a ransom for his life so there wouldn't be a plague among them. It says, When you take a census of the Israelites to count them, each one must pay the Lord a ransom for his life at the time he is counted then no plague will come on them when you number them. Each one who crosses over to those already counted is to give a half shekel according to the sanctuary shekel, which weighs 20 giras. This half shekel is an offering to the Lord. All who cross over, 
those twenty years old or more, are to give an offering to the Lord. The rich are not to give more than a half shekel, and the poor are not to give less, when you make an offering to the Lord, to atone for your lives. Receive the atonement money from the Israelites, and use it for the service of the tent of meeting. It will be a memorial for the Israelites before the Lord, making atonement for your lives. Scarlet Threads So what scarlet threads, or hints of Jesus Christ, or application to the Gospel, do we find in this chapter? Israel's future hope was based on the past promise of God to bless them, multiply them, and give them the land. This incredible company of over two million people is a wonderful fulfillment of God's original promise to Abraham, made hundreds of years earlier, that he would multiply his descendants so that they are greater than the number of stars or sand on the seashore. But that was only the beginning. Throughout the centuries, the number of Jews has increased, and then, because of Jesus Christ, the number of Gentile believers have been added to it, fulfilling God's promise to Abraham that through him all nations would be blessed. The land promise would soon be fulfilled. God knows how many Israelites uh, there were, even before they were counted. Not one would be lost. Likewise, he knows all his people, and none will be lost. This is a comfort to our souls. He calls his servants by name and equips those he calls. Likewise, he calls us by name and equips us to serve. The leader of the tribe of Judah was called Nashon, son of Amminadab. David descended from this man, and Jesus descended from the tribe of Judah and was a direct descendant of this honorable man, through both Mary and Joseph. These people were immortalized because their names are in Scripture. But the only place it really matters that our names are recorded is in the Book of Life. When they were counted, they had to pay a ransom price for their lives or they'd perish. God's people are a ransomed people. A price was paid for their lives, the death of Christ. Otherwise, they'd perish. Now that they are redeemed, counted, and ransomed, they could be part of the army of God even though they were currently at peace. This was not optional. Now that we are redeemed, counted, and ransomed, we can be part of the army of God, armed with the armor of God, fighting spiritual forces in heavenly places, fighting the good fight of faith through many tribulations, until the day when we rest from our labors and receive our reward, and return victorious with Jesus Christ. We need to be prepared for warfare, even if we are currently at peace. The Levites were exempted from fighting in the army because their role was related to the worship of God. God set aside one-twelfth of the population to teach them that worship was important and that those engaged in spiritual endeavors should not entangle themselves in worldly affairs. So even though we are soldiers of Christ, we still worship God. You've been listening to the Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Numbers Chapter 2. May God bless the study of His Word.